0: Many young people go to colleges and universities and leave their faith, or they have a major crisis in their faith. This is Evidence and Answers, with author, speaker, Christian apologist, and scholar, Pat Zuccarin. Today's program is part of a series on staying Christian in college, and whether you're going to college yourself, or maybe you have a child or a grandchild who's leaving the nest and going to the university, today's program is gonna be very informative. Here's Pat Zuccarin.
1: It is not surprising that universities universities are littered with dropouts from Christian groups. Their non-rational, subjective faith is cruelly punctured by varsity-level questions, and many manage to survive only by resorting to a severely schizophrenic faith, which they hold to be true religiously, but not intellectually, historically, or scientifically. And there are many statistics out there saying that many professing Christians, after four years on a public university campus, do not return to church. Now why is that the case? Well with us today we've got a great guest, Dr. Jay Budziszewski. He's professor of political science there at the University of Texas in Austin, one of the largest public universities in the country. He is the author of several books and one of the books that you need to get if you have kids going off to college or if you're a freshman, Uh, preparing for the university campus. This is a book you're going to want to get. It's called How to Stay Christian in College, put out by Nav Press. And we want to welcome Dr. Jay Budziszewski to the show. Welcome to the show, doctor.
2: Hi, I'm glad to be with you.
1: Jay, tell us a little bit about your background. Now, you didn't come to the university as a Christian, did you?
2: No, I didn't. I would had a uh, Christian upbringing, but I had abandoned my faith myself not long after entering college, and um, I didn't. I didn't recover my faith again until after I'd finished my education and been teaching a year or two.
1: Now, in my experience speaking on college campuses and dealing with numerous college students, they find the public university to be a hostile arena for the Christian. Why is that the case?
2: Well, there are several reasons. Um, one of one of them is overt hostility. You know, where you are ridiculed by other by other students or or occasionally by uh, by professors in the classroom. Much more common than that kind of overt hostility is a kind of a um, uh, covert hostility, where the assumptions of what you're teaching are uh, just so radically antithetical to the to the Christian faith. Nobody has to tell you the Christian faith is wrong. You're just going to get that feeling, have that understanding from everything that you hear, from the way conversations go, from from, the, uh, from the, um, the, the, the subtext, the undertones of conversation in the, in the classroom, you see? Yeah, in other words, um, suppose that the assumption from which your, your biology class or your physics class is taking place is that, is that nothing is real except uh, matter, that material nature is all there is. That's called naturalism. Well, there is no room in such a picture for the supernatural and if you swallow that that picture you're going to be uh... you're going to be swallowing premises that imply that the christian faith is false
1: but we're not saying that there is a conspiracy on the public university campuses to brainwash our kids but definitely there is a worldview that is antithetical to the christian theistic worldview isn't there
2: Uh, yes yes there is you're right that it isn't a conspiracy um... although Although now and then you do run into a you do run into a professor who who, who really does have an anti-Christian agenda, but no, it's not a conspiracy. I've got um, I've got some unfortunate news though. It's not just secular uh, public universities; this kind of thing can also happen, and it often does, at uh, nominally Christian schools, schools that uh, broadcast themselves, advertise themselves as Christian, but that have really absorbed uh, a secular point of view
1: yeah I would fully agree with you you know I went to a quote Christian University and you know coming from Hawaii I had just accepted Christ in my senior year and when I heard that there is a Christian University I thought that's the only one in the world you know I didn't know there were such (laughs) things and I thought I was gonna be in paradise you know and I got there and I found out that it was just like going to a public university you know there was as much sexual immorality but also the schools were coming from a very naturalistic bias uh... really anti-supernatural kind of, of things and biology and sciences were coming from that world view really wasn't any there wasn't much difference except for a few very committed christian professors
2: yes you know we talk about uh... we talk about peer pressure as something that operates on on young people peer pressure operates on college faculty too they look to the approval of their peers as a matter of fact i would say that as a group um, intellectuals professors you know people in the chattering classes whether whether they're in universities or not uh... tend to tend to look even more hungrily to the approval of people like them
0: dr budjiszewski i was going to ask you i, I know that the, the the christian often undergoes uh... hostility overt and covert in the, in the university classroom but but tell us quickly what are some um, uh, mistakes that Christian students often make in the classroom.
2: Well, I think that one of the mistakes that they make is by trying to make their case on biblical grounds when they're speaking with people, of course, who don't accept the authority of the Bible. Suppose that uh, your, your professor is taking a, a naturalistic point of view and you say, but the Bible says that." Well, now, why should he listen to you if he doesn't accept the Bible as authoritative? Right. It just sounds to him as though you're rejecting uh, the use of, uh, of our reasoning powers, rejecting the Bible. What you do have to do is present an argument that is Christian, but that is, um, but that is, uh, is not an appeal to faith alone, that, uh, that, that, that makes use of the mind, that is, is going to start from premises that even the non-believer has to admit that he shares. Another mistake that uh, Christian students often make is that they try to challenge. Um, there's another problem that I'll, that I'll mention in a moment that is just about the opposite of this. But those who, who, are, who have enough gumption to, to challenge what's going on in the classroom sometimes uh, don't focus enough. It's enough to just, to just take issue with one thing. You don't have to prove your professor wrong. In fact, you probably don't even want to try to do that. But just raise some questions just say enough to suggest that there's another point of view that's rationally defensible. okay You just have to get in the, get a foot in the door after all the professor is in charge of the classroom and he's supposed to be. That's his job. Uh, he's got authority there and that needs to be that needs to be respected. but you can still get a foot in the door. You can raise questions about his definition of, of uh, toleration, for instance, um, or, uh, or about uh, some of the assumptions that he's making about purposelessness, in the origin of, um, of biological species. Uh, you can talk about the evidence for design in, in nature. Uh, you can ask uh, questions about where his premises would really lead. You can just push them a little further. Uh, this, this, this you can do. You know, I had a student once in uh, one class who actually got up, and uh, he, he started to read a, a Christian poem that he'd written to the class. Now, he, I, I'm sure he was trying to be persuasive, but it was bad poetry, and it was all in churchy language. You know, the non-believers in the class didn't know what he was, he was talking about, and even the Christians were mostly rather, rather, rather embarrassed. So that rather than gaining ground, he lost ground. He wasn't following the example of somebody like Paul who when he's speaking with non believers, for instance on Mars Hill on the Areopagus in Athens, he speaks to them in their language, he reminds them of things that they already believe. He uh, he he starts where they are and that's why he can make that's why he can uh, he can he can advance with them. Another very important thing that I think it's important to do in all such encounters, and this is outside of the classroom too, when you're talking with your friends, you know, we don't rely enough on, on prayer. We sometimes prepare prepare in every imaginable way except to pray. Now, if it's really true that God is our strength here, we ought to be praying before such conversations and encounters and during them and after them. And we ought to be praying for not only the success of the conversation or the encounter, but praying for the, for the soul of the person and the mind of the person with whom we're, with whom we're speaking uh we we don't do nearly enough of that. Now you know I hate to say this, Pat and Kevin, but but the more frequent mistake is not sounding like a jerk in the classroom but not opening your mouth at all. So many so, of my Christian students, they just let the uh the field be dominated by the non believers. One young man who uh, was a uh, a not real well-prepared Christian, but he wasn't, he wasn't, uh, he wasn't too bad in his, in his preparation. He was getting there. He came to my uh, office hours after class one day, and he said, I liked the answer that you gave that atheist student in class. I don't remember how the subject of God had come up. We might have been studying Thomas Aquinas. And, um, and I said, uh, he made it clear that he was a Christian. I said, well, why didn't you say something then? Why didn't you give an answer? This was a general discussion period, and he said, uh, "Well, it seemed to me that you were doing fine on your own." <laughs> now, <Yeah>. you, <laughs> well, sure, but you know what? It is also going to mean a lot more to his fellow students. Another another problem is um, pietistic, emotionalistic traditions, where we where we say that uh, our relationship with God is a matter of uh, sort of feeling good with Him, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. feeling comfortable with Him, and inner devotional life. And while those things are important, uh, every sphere of life is supposed to be given to God. There's not supposed to be any, any part of us, including our mind, that is not, that is not surrendered to him. So if we uh, just focus on, on uh, how close we feel to God in our devotional life, we're not developing our mind, we're not availing ourselves of the riches of the Christian intellectual tradition. You know, it's only our own fault if we feel outgunned when we go into the classroom. As Christians, because uh, because actually the Christian intellectual tradition is richer, uh, has answers, has resources uh, for for providing answers that um, that the secular worldviews just don't have. So there's we shouldn't ever have to feel outgunned in that way.
0: Pat's special guest, Dr. Jay Bujashevsky of the University of Texas. Pat will have this interview series with Dr. Bujashevsky available at Evidence and Answers dot org you can go there give it to that uh, student who's on his way to college or who is in college right now dr budjuszewski has some terrific resources including how to stay christian in college He's also uh, written the revenge of conscience and what we can't not know that's about the objective nature of morals in the meantime go to evidence and answers dot org dr budjuszewski we're talking about Christians
1: in the classroom facing some of the academic challenges, and one of the things we're talking about is that a lot of Christians are not well prepared to articulate their position inside and outside of class. Can a Christian, I mean is it feasible that a Christian can actually not challenge but articulate his position in front of the classroom, in front of a university professor? Is the Christian position defensible in an arena like that?
2: Oh, yes, it is. I think that you just, have to, you just have to keep your mind on what you're about. For instance, you want to limit yourself to a single point. Uh, you're not going to have a chance to present the, uh, the whole gospel. Your teacher is not going to give you a chance for that. And it's not necessary. People who are interested will ask you about this afterward. The professor himself may ask you about this afterward. He may say, you know, I was interested by some of the things that you said. They don't, don't misunderstand me. They sound wrong, but still I'm interested. Why don't you come in during office hours? This kind of thing does happen. So you limit yourself to a single point. You don't lecture. You reason simply and clearly. Uh, you don't Bible bash your teacher or anybody else. And you have to model courtesy, of course. You show respect. what your teacher and the other students are saying you don't interrupt them you stay calm rather than getting flustered excited impatient angry and you recognize that you don't have to quote unquote win so what if the professor isn't convinced so what if he gets the last word of course he's going to get the last word it's his classroom so what if he changed the subject it doesn't matter all you have to do is plant a seed. Now, I don't think that these things are too hard, and uh, and so I don't think it is unreasonable to expect that uh, that we can do things like that.
1: Well, let me give you a scenario, uh, Dr. Budziszewski, and just uh, tell me how you would play this out. But I remember being in physics class, and the professor was talking about the age of the earth and everything, and then he, he turned to the class and he said, Now, some people here believe in what's called catastrophism, that there's some kind of worldwide flood, and there's an arc, and... All these animals went into the air, who believes in that story who will raise your hand, who believes in that story? You know, and he was looking at the whole class. There was about two hundred in this physics class, and I think me and about two other students raised our hands, you know, and then he went off about how a flood could not have happened. You've got a lot of problems if you're going to hold to catastrophism, and he was. And openly challenging us saying what do you have to say to that students and I really didn't know what to say I was intimidated he had a couple PhDs we had all these students staring at us you know man I didn't know what to do now uh, how would you uh, recommend that we enter into that kind of arena what would you recommend if that scenario should pop up for the christian student
2: that that scenario actually is uh, is is quite common i i know another student myself well he's not a student any longer now he's a professor himself and i'm glad to say he's a uh, he's a he's a courageous uh, christian professor but he was once challenged when he was in graduate school um, by a professor said um who said all of you in here are too intelligent to be pro-life right now. She didn't say, is anyone here pro-life raise your hand in a challenging way? But it was something like the same situation, if, if anything, even more threatening. He should have held up his hand and said, well, you know, I'd like to suggest that I'm pro-life, but I am intelligent. Uh, and uh, this sort of, this this kind of situation, when we're under that sort of a challenge, the idea is to... The idea is to intimidate you even before you speak, so that you will not give a good defense of your position. It's
0: kind of poisoning the well is
2: poisoning it? the well. Poisoning the well. Poisoning the expectations of other people that when you open your mouth, of course, it's, it's going to be silly. But you, uh, you just have to go. Have to remember going in. Look, these people don't agree with you. They think it's silly. That's that's not going to be a surprise rise to you so that it won't cast you down when you discover it in the classroom. And you just have, and you just have to remember, your faith is not grounded on whether the professor raises his eyebrow at you uh, and gives you a funny look or whether, whether a student in the next row over giggles when you say, well, as a matter of fact, I think that so-and-so is true or that so-and-so is not true, and here's why. Now, um, you may not be able to answer every argument that your, uh, that your professor has offered. Uh you don't have to. But what you can say is, well, um, here uh, I, I do believe so and so. Here is how I came to that position. And here are some questions that I would uh, here, here are some questions that I would want to raise. Uh see where see where the professor goes then, see how he responds. You may have a chance to to develop the argument more fully. You know, you may not. But uh but um uh, You know, you're not going to be, you're probably, if you're a student, not going to be put in a position where suddenly you're going to be called in front and be in a formal debate with six PhDs for an hour and a half. You're just going to have to make a point or two clearly and cogently, and then the professor is going to want to get on to another subject because he's got a lecture to give.
1: Right. You bring up a good point of being humble and respectful to the professor. And in fact, uh, that professor that I mentioned, that physics professor, I'd been walking with the Lord for about five years. I was in my senior year. And so, like you said, I was a lot more humble, a lot more calm, articulated my position and they, uh, let him articulate his and uh, didn't argue with him or anything. And I actually became one of his favorite students. You know, he put my name on his final exam on several of the questions. So,
2: I, I think another thing that's helpful is to think very carefully about what ground needs to be defended and uh and and what ground doesn't you know you you too much is being everything's being challenged everything in the faith is being challenged what do you need to defend if it's a point that is at issue even among biblically orthodox christians now for instance whether whether the earth is very is young or whether it's old whether god's creation took a short time or a long or a long time uh the answer to that question is no doubt very important but even uh, biblically orthodox Christians disagree about how to interpret some of the Genesis texts and so forth. Uh, I would concentrate my defense, defense not on arguing about a particular position within that intra-Christian debate, but rather on de- defending the key issue that is that issue between Christians and other believers: whether a Christian thinks that um, that the uh, that the that the earth was created in a short time or in a long time. Uh, Nevertheless, all Christians believe that the, you know, the crucial thing is that it was done by God that whatever whatever processes uh, whatever 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 method that he used to do this, his designing and creating intelligence and his power was behind it so the critical issue is um, is not intra-christian things, but rather uh, the point that's at issue between, between yourself and the other believer, in this case, design. Well,
1: Dr. Budziszewski, in the last few minutes, uh, talk to the youth pastor and the parent and the Christian teen out there. How can they prepare themselves to enter the public university campus?
2: Well, okay, there are, there are several things here. One of them, this may surprise you, because we've been talking about intellectual matters, but this is something that is, not, um, that is not solely intellectual. I think that young people going off to college have to shake themselves of a certain idea, and youth pastors and parents need to be sure that they are uh, making clear what a silly idea this is. Don't go off to college thinking that, that you can do it on your own. There is no such thing as a solitary Christian the only way to lead the christian life is in communion with and in fellowship with other christians so you have to be regularly worshiping you have to have a a community of faith an actual church that is your church um, and uh, and i think you know a lot of students will will, will assume that uh, if they have a christian fellowship group on campus they don't need to go to church because that's their church no it isn't they need both because in the Christian fellowship group, they're going to meet all people just like them. That's good, because they're people experiencing the same challenges that they're experiencing. But on the other hand, in real church, they're dealing with and meeting with people who are not like them. And that's good, too, because the body of Christ includes many different limbs. Okay, We're not all thumbs. Some of us are uh, elbows, and some of us are legs, and some of us are eyes and mouths in the body of Christ, and we need, to, um, we need to have respect for the whole body of Christ and not just that organ <laughs> that we are. Um, so you see, when, when, when students go off onto the campus and they think, well, I, you know, I can, I, it's just you and me, Jesus, I can pray by myself, I can worship by myself, I can tell other people about Jesus by myself, I can study the Bible by myself, uh, I can be compassionate to, uh, to the suffering by myself. Well, it, it doesn't work. You find yourself coming under other influences. Some people take different advice here. They ignore the fact that people have this excessively individualistic idea about living the faith, and instead they just tell them resist peer pressure. Now, I think that's the wrong advice. It's, it's true that on some occasions you do have to resist peer pressure, but, you know, in a broader sense, God made us as social creatures. He expected that we would be influenced by our peers. And the first line of defense against unhealthy peer pressure is to be exposed to the right kind of peer pressure from the right kind of peers, your, your brothers and sisters in the household of faith. You also need, uh, uh, among uh, your, your fellow students, you need a Christian intellectual support group. It doesn't have to be a club with officers and you know regular meetings. But what I mean is that you have to have three or four friends um, who are serious about the uh, the intellectual dimension of living out their faith, and about thinking with you about these things, constantly being you know being uh, um, not just learning to defend yourself, let's say, but uh, constantly being beaten up. <laughs> it, it begins to raise some doubts about you know, the sense in which this is this is good for you, right? And that's how many Christians feel. They feel like they they feel that they're being beat up on. Uh, it's not. Sometimes, sometimes this can be exaggerated. They they feel that way because of their own lack of preparation, even when in fact the situation is not so bad, and uh, they're not being beat up on. They just need a. They just need some confidence lessons. And I think that we have very good reasons to have plenty of confidence as Christians. But on the other hand, there really is some beating up out there going on. And uh... and we should uh, we should count our blessings because in many countries it's much much worse than in this one.
1: Right, and one of the things a Christian needs to understand that there are answers to the challenges out there. There certainly are. You know, what are some sources that they can go to should they receive challenges or questions that they can't answer?
2: Well, you know, there are a lot of uh, good uh, good Christian apologetics ministries out there, both Protestant and Catholic. You are closely associated with One Probe Ministries, which mm-hmm. is. Uh, you know, which is very good. Uh, there are there are auth- other authors uh, like, uh, like 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 uh, Peter Kraft who um, who are super on this,
1: and um, we see a growing number of Christian faculty throughout the country as well, don't we?
2: Yes, they are coming out from the woodwork, and it is one of the most. incredible, encouraging things that I've seen in my, uh, in my 23 years on the university campus.
1: Very good. Very good advice from a man who has a lot of experience on a university campus. Dr. Budziszewski, thanks for being with us uh, this week on Evidence
0: and Answers.
2: I'm very glad to have been. You know, it's been a pleasure.
0: We want to thank you so much for listening to Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuckerman on this timely topic and remind you that you can get this entire series at our website EvidenceAndAnswers.org That's EvidenceAndAnswers.org You'll find some of the best resources on presenting and defending your faith in Christ to an increasingly skeptical world at EvidenceAndAnswers.org World religions, atheism, the cults the occult, apologetics, scientific and philosophical arguments for the existence of God, creation and evolution, the reliability of the Bible, archaeology and history, and the end times to name but just a few,
1: there's a new feature on our website called iShows, where you can download each individual show for just two fifty on our website evidenceandanswers.org. Just like you download a song on iTunes, these are iShows that you can download each individual show you want, and we've got some of the top scholars on there.
0: Evidence and Answers is supported by you, the listener, who appreciates a program that gives good answers to good questions. Our calling is to do what the Apostle Paul did on Mars Hill in Athens. He presented and defended the Gospel of Jesus Christ, and we'll help you do the same by the grace of God. Just go to evidenceandanswers.org and any gift or purchase of resources will be a tremendous encouragement to us. And remember that this entire series is available at evidenceandanswers.org. This has been Kevin Harris. Thank you so much for listening to Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuccarin. God bless and thanks so much for listening. Evidenceandanswers.org.